Welcome to Personal Financial Strategy, the podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money, bringing expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Jason Wojo. Jason is the CEO of Life and Air, and Life and Air is a Christian-based life and business coaching organization dedicated to helping people live truly abundant and prosperous lives. Welcome to the Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, Jason. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. This is an honor. Oh, well, thank you for being here. Really appreciate your journey here. Well, I like to open every podcast with introducing our guests and where they live and work, because everybody's always curious about that for some reason. Yes, yes. So I recently, actually in the past week, relocated to, to Wake Forest, North Carolina. I was previously living in Durham, North Carolina, and made the jump over here. And as far as where I work, it is in my house. I do not leave these walls. I, uh, my office is under construction right now, so I'm coming to you from my living room. Oh, is that right? Is that right? <laughs> so this is a new house for you. It is. It is. It's a, it's a, we, we had a recently expanded family. We've got two new girls here and we need oh, more space. And, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a move to give us all a little more room in the house. Fantastic. The other way we open our podcast at personal financial strategy, Jason, is we like to let our, uh, our guests tell us their story about, and if you would, please share your story with us and, and bring us up to where and why yeah. you're investing your life in what you're doing today. Yeah, I'd love to, man. So I'll tell you, like I, I came from a from a blue collar family up in Massachusetts, and um, we uh, we were definitely middle class. We weren't we weren't upper class or lower class. And I was taught um, that hard work brought res- results. My dad worked a lot. He, um, I remember he he was he was busy. You know, he, he'd work a full day. He'd come home and take a nap. He'd have dinner, and then and then and then at the end of that, he was kind of exhausted, and so he just kind of like watched TV. and And uh, us kids would play. I have a brother and sister, and so that work ethic has always kind of permeated my life. And because I wanted to be successful up to that point in my life, I thought the only way was to have a job, because both my parents had jobs. Now, what I mean by that is that I didn't understand nor even know this is a possibility of being a business owner or an investor or an entrepreneur. That wasn't nowhere in my family had that had that ever surfaced. It was just like you work for somebody else. That's that's what you do. Understand. And so and then I, so so and I wanted to have a great life. And so I was kind of taught like, well, the key to a great life is is having a great job because the great job is going to make you money and allow you to do all these things. And so I said, okay, well, how do I, how do I get a great job? And I thought about it. I said, all right, I don't, I don't have any connections. I don't, there's no nepotism that's going to help me out here. And so I figured, okay, I'm, well, I'm just going to get an education then. And I'm going to get um, a really good education so that I have options and I can get I can get the corner office and the, in the high rise building and things like that. And so I went and got, I went and got two bachelor's degrees, oh my. a master's degree, and then a PhD to top, to top it all off. Oh um, my gosh. Yes. So, you are a so, student, man. You're an academician. Yeah. Well, you know, it started getting ridiculous. My parents actually like, are you just going to stay in school the rest of your life or just for the next foreseeable future? And, <laughs> and so I spent literally like no exaggeration, 15 years from that first bachelor's to my, to finishing my PhD. And it, it's insane. I mean, it, 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 I don't regret it, but at the same time, it took a big part of my life. Now, sure. where that actually became reality for me is when I got that first job out of, out of school, out of my PhD, 
And I realized literally within the first few weeks, I don't like this. And it, and it wasn't the job itself that I didn't like. It's not that the people were, it's not that the people were, were bad or I didn't get along with them. It's just that I didn't like the idea of somebody else controlling my financial future, somebody else controlling my schedule, when I work, what I work on, who I work with, all these variables that I just felt really constrained and like I didn't have a choice. Like I was on somebody else's schedule for life and somebody else's plan for my life. And so that's when I started investigating real estate investing. And I had happened to just be really blessed to run into some people that were successful real estate investors. And so they kind of coached me through, actually, this is, I was a student in life and air in 2009. They coached me through my first few deals. My, my, first, my first deal, I made just about half my year's salary when I, at my first job. And I was like, okay, well, okay. My, my PhD is not in math, but okay. One deal versus like, you know, six months of work, like which of these would I rather do? Yeah. And it started really making me think twice about having a job working for somebody else. And so I did a few more deals, uh, left my job, uh, left my nine to five and went into real estate investing full-time. And that was great, except what happened was, and, and nobody prepared me for this, is that when you have your own business, yeah, there are some great perks, but there's also some, some real pitfalls that people don't talk about, which is like, hey, you're going to eat, breathe, sleep, this business, like how this is your baby. Like you can't get away from it. You're going to think about it all the time. Right. If you're not careful. The very thing that kind of like set me free also ended up enslaving me of, of, of sorts because now all I did is work and yeah. I didn't just have one businesses. I got excited about it and I wanted, I had some fear around finances and like, what if, what if this business doesn't work as well as I wanted to, or what if I fail in this industry? Like, well, I need a backup. And so I ended up with having multiple businesses, um, all of them doing okay, but none of them doing what I knew they were capable of. And through some coaching, I was able to kind of consolidate to to ramp things up. I um, I really got I, things things got a lot better after you know after they got worse, they got better. And after that, I started realizing that my actual passion, now that I had kind of accomplished this on my own, was to help other people do it. And so that's where I had started off as a student in Life and Air. And then I, then I started to coach other people. This is around 2014-ish or so. Mm -hmm. Started coaching other people how to, how to become successful business owners and real estate investors. And from there, I started speaking for Life and Air. And we do our, our live events and I teach those now. And then uh, Steve Cook, who's the founder of Life and Air, who actually, full circle, was my coach when I first started, oh, asked right. me to come on board as his partner. And now we, so we together run the company and, and I get, I get to like share this with people. And, you know, like I said before, I work out of my house. I love that. I get to do this. I know it's not for everyone, but I love it. And so yeah. I've been able to kind of through the ups and downs of, of business ownership, come to a place in my life where I'm financially secure. Uh, I get to control my calendar and now I just, I'm, I'm blessed to get to do that with other people and show them how to do it too. Freedom. It, that's what it's all about, man. It's, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, this is where, you know, I, I used to say this, um, when somebody would tell me like how much money they made, I used to be impressed until I realized that they had no life. They had no time to enjoy it. And they're, right. they're stressed out all the time or they're running around with their hair on fire constantly. Like that's, that's not success. I don't think, yeah, money's great. I, I know we need financial security. We want financial freedom, but what's the cost? Because if you don't have the other parts of your life that allow you to enjoy that freedom, it, it's kind of for naught, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can become captivating. 
and not free. <laughs> it, I, well, and, and I think it's, it's easy to become addicted to, to more money. Like, you know, you, you, I remember there's a time in my life where I thought like, man, if I just had five grand in the bank, like uh, my life would be like, oh my gosh, like, I can't even imagine what that'd be like. And then, uh, you know, you hit five and then it's like, well, man, if I just had 10 grand in the bank and then it goes from 10 to 25 to 50 to hundred and it doesn't, it doesn't stop until right. you realize like, what is, what is the stopping point here? Like, when do you actually have enough? And it, that was an interesting challenge I, that I had to go through uh, and, and explore that for myself. And like, uh, but without the time to enjoy it, like what's the, what's the purpose? What's the point? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so Jason, I wonder if you would, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a, a few people out there now that are going, I wonder, life and air, life and air. Um, that sounds <laughs> interesting. Um, I, I wonder if you could maybe outline for us, you know, the person that caught their ear and they're, and they're going, okay, I want to know more. What kind of questions are they asking that life and air could ask? could answer for them. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, like, you know, um, the word itself, life and air, this was, uh, this was Steve Cook's uh, invention and, and he, he was coaching real estate investors and everybody kept saying, Steve, like I just, just become, help me make it become a millionaire. I want to be a millionaire. And Steve one time was just thinking to himself, he said, you know, what is it about this word millionaire that is so captivating. And he said, you know what? It's not the money they want. It's the life that they think the money will buy them. And what they really want to be is a life in air. And so like a, a millionaire has a lot of money. Well, life in air has a lot of life. Um, and here, here's something else before I answer your question directly, Tony, is that um, we've seen something very, very uh, unexpected with, with the way life in air has turned out. And that is that I know very few millionaires that are life in airs but I know a lot of life in that are millionaires. And what we have found, which is makes no sense, I can't explain it, but we've found that when you put life first, many times you'll also make more money because you have a reason why you have to make the money and you, you right. have the time to enjoy it. And so it's, it's very, it, it really caught me off guard. And I actually, I, I must, I didn't believe it when Steve first told me that I, I said, yeah, right. Just show me how to make the money. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I, but to your, to your point, like, I think the people that, first of all, are, are attracted to life and air the most, we resonate most with, most with people who are business owners, who are investors or entrepreneurs, anybody who is susceptible to working a lot and letting, letting business kind of take over are the people that we really are trying to, to, to speak to and to reach because absolutely we have people that, that are life and airs that have full-time jobs and they love what they do. But on the, at that same token, it's it's the small business owner who is most is most vulnerable to letting life get the scraps. You know, like now, don't yeah. get me wrong. Like you could have you could have a nine to five job, but they're working you, you know, fingers to the bone every day. And, and in which case, I think you got to be really careful with that and, and figure out what your options are. You don't want to be doing that in another ten years. Right. But the, pe but the people who who really uh, gravitate towards life and error are often people that want to have their own. They want to pave their own path. They want to create their own destiny you know, financially, they want to be secure. Financially, they want the freedom to do what they want to do and, but also have the time to, to do that. So let's say you're, you're working long hours. Like, well, how do you actually get out of that? How do you, what are the steps to really kind of start to scale back on the amount of time you work so that you can enjoy the fruits of your labor and your successes? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Boy, 
as you're talking about that, I, I in my mind, I just have a little, uh, like a little picture of what you guys do. I, I, I picture like a you're, you're setting up uh, guardrails or a, a, a little fortress to, to only let certain things into life into life while still maintaining uh, making a living but you're you're kind of you're kind of setting up some guard guardrails for people to to not let their life get consumed by the things that aren't important dude that that is a an awesome observation that's a great point and i like the way you said you said that i'm gonna steal that if you don't mind sure. um, so what we do is and, and so this is so one of the things we do is like people are like okay well where do I start? Like, what do I do? And the first thing we we encourage people to do is create a vision for their life. And what this is is a is a, it's not a goals list. It's not like a to do list. It's more of like it's it's really a, a unique combination of like your get your aspirations, your goals, who you are as a person, your beliefs, your values, what you find important, all all, all kind of wrapped into one document. Mm-hmm. And then what we encourage people to do is okay, you you put all this stuff into your vision. Let's plan this out on a daily basis. Like how do you, cause, cause otherwise it's, it's too pie in the sky. There's no real, you know what I mean? It's not tangible. Sure. And so what we do is we have them put it on a calendar and to your point of having these boundaries and these guardrails, you have that spot in your, let's say, let's say it's a typical weekday and you're like, Hey, I'm going to go to the gym from eight to nine and nine to 11. I'm going to work. I'm going to have lunch with a friend from 11 to one. I'm going to spend time with my spouse in the afternoon. You, we have them put down all their vision stuff first. Not, we're not doing any work yet. All right. We put down all of our vision stuff and then we help people figure out what they want, uh, their, what, what they want, uh, for work. Like where do you put in the work is in between those, in the, between those empty spaces of the vision elements that they put down on the, on the calendar. And so like, if you have all the things that you want to do first, you see these empty gaps, that's where work goes. And, those areas, maybe, maybe it's from nine to 11. Like we just talked about in this example, those are my boundaries. Like that's, that is my guardrail. Like, so I don't, mm-hmm. what do I want to get? Do I want to like skip the gym? No, not really. Do I want to, do I want to skip, you know, lunch with a friend? No. And so those, when you have those items in your calendar, it creates these very real boundaries to get work done in that period of time. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm always challenged on this where people are saying, Man, you know, and, and I'd say on, on average, I can, I can probably work 20 to 24 hours a week before something starts to get compromised in my vision. And people are like, well, how do you actually run a business in, th- in that amount of time? And it's because, uh, well, a few things, but one is like, I, you know, we, we have to realize that most people out of an eight hour workday aren't even working a full eight hours. Like, and so I right. love, so, so man, I love this study. I, I lean on this a lot where, 2017, they did a study with uh, in the UK with uh, office workers. They looked at 1,989 office workers, and out of an eight-hour workday, the average person only worked two hours and 50 minutes. Maybe it was 53 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, it was less than three hours. Gosh. And so when I say that, so so that's what I tell people. I'm like, listen, and people will say, well, that's not true for me. I'm like, really? Are you sure? Yeah. Because if it's real work that you're doing you'd be amazed at how much you can get done when you're focused and you have laser like intensity on it. And this, this bringing us back to the point of where I said, I think you make more money when you put life first. Well, guess what? When I have those reasons to make that money within that two hour time block or three hour time block versus the full eight hour day, like I have to do it. Like I, and this is where 
I think learning to be focused in, in work and business and yeah. focusing on the important things really helps you do that. Yeah. I think that can really serve to ratchet up the motivation. I mean, yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. I'm not a spring chicken. <laughs> I've been working for a few years and I, I know just the evolution of my work day. Uh, you, you know, I hate even to admit this, but the back half of the day, I'm not worth much anymore. <laughs> I am right there with you, man. Like I, I, I've realized that about myself, like after like two or 3 PM, not much quality work is getting done. So I, have right. to, I, I schedule my day accordingly. Yep. As much as I hate to admit that, cause you know, I, <laughs> I, I do have pride and I, I, I do think back to my younger years and I used to work into the night. I mean, it, and I, yep. I had focus and but I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not that upset about it because well, other things have yeah. come in and more important things have come in, in the back of the day than, than that's right. work. That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm with you. You know, for me afternoons, are like I'm going to the gym, I'm spending time with my family, you know, and, 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 you know, well, right now I'm organizing my house, but like yeah. the new house, but I've realized, and, and so this is where I think that's really an empowering discovery though, at the same time, because otherwise you can beat yourself up and think like, oh, I should be productive and I should do this and I should do that. But if that's just not the reality, like you're, you're wasting time versus being effective with your time and, and efficient. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's it. As much as we don't like it, we, all of us have a different bandwidth. You know, some of us can work more than others and, and stay focused and get work done and others can't. And that's right. okay. Just be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting pretty comfortable with it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Here's the other thing about uh, becoming an old guy, you tend to wake up like at five. <laughs> it's just, you know, when I think back in my younger days, it's like, what the heck happened to me? I know, right? You used to sleep till like nine or 10, like no yeah. problem at all, 11 o'clock. Yeah. But nine hey, the day's gone. <laughs> you can be pretty productive from, you from can. six to nine. When nobody else is up, it's so quiet. Yeah. You can get stuff done. Like, so, so I've, I've found like, so I'm working on a book right now. And I've found my best hours are early morning. I can think that most clearly I, I'm not distracted, you know, it's quiet. And so like, I'm with you, man. Like I know I'm more of, and I don't, I don't use an alarm clock. It sounds like you don't either. Um, no, I just wake up naturally like around six, maybe six 30 if I'm lucky, but like yeah. at six o'clock I'm up. Wow. I'm, you're I'm, there I'm, already. I am, man. We're, we're not that far apart. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's great. Well, Jason, I wonder, there are some people in our audience. I know that you know, with everything that's going on in the real estate market, I mean, there's just a lot of curiosity about real estate right now, um, you know, with all the inflated prices, you know, here in Phoenix, we've seen in the last uh, year, we've seen uh, real estate values move 30% in a year. Wow. So I know there's a lot of people out there that are wondering about What's the future? What would Jason say about the future of a real estate career in these crazy times? Well, I'll tell you, I started investing in, in 08, 09. And so I started in a down market. I, I would say that opportunity is always available, but the type of opportunity is a little bit different. So for instance, okay. right now, in a lot of parts of the country, you're starting to see slowdowns, not necessarily of... A, a, a decrease of list price, but you are seeing you know less buyers, more days on market. Some places you've started to see a stopping of these like ridiculously over overpriced offers, where you know the house is lifted at, at five hundred and they they offer seven fifty. Like those kinds of things do seem to be decreasing. 
does that mean that a, that a crash is coming? I don't think so necessarily because there, um, there are still significant inventory issues. Like if you look world, you know, sorry, countrywide. And of course this is, this is geographically dependent, but like, for instance, in, in North Carolina here, we are still, even though we have a tremendous amount of expansion and new construction going on, um, their inventory is still an issue. We are not at an equalized market yet in terms of, uh, of number of houses available. And so I think that's, I think, I think we're going to become the equalized. We may see a, a slight correction, um, but it's, I don't believe we're going to see the same thing we saw in 08, 09, because it's a, it's a different cause. Like back then that, you know, we had, we had mortgage issues and, and, um, yeah people that weren't, weren't qualified to get mortgages and all these kinds of things like that. I think some people that overpaid for houses in the past year, year and a half may be in a bad situation to find out they can't afford that house and they got caught up in the, in the buying frenzy. But I don't know how common that will be because I don't think the house values are also going to drop by 50% or 30%. And I know, you know, especially like, like for instance, here in the triangle, uh, well, sorry, the triangle is a North Carolina region referred to that includes Durham, Chapel Hill, and Raleigh. Okay. You know, we have, we have Apple coming here. Meta is building here. We have all these industries that are coming here. And even though I think a lot of businesses are having remote workforces, a lot of people are still moving, you know, especially yeah. we're seeing people come here from the Northeast, from California. And so, you know, and, and it's more affordable to them. We may look at it and be like, this is crazy pricing, but to them, they're like, man, the, the, I can get twice as the house I got in California in, in North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's going to contribute to these, I think the slowing down of the market is going to be these interest rates that as they climb up will certainly deter buyers and afford, uh, excuse me, uh, affect the affordability index, meaning, you know, they can't, what they previously could afford on a, on a three or 4% interest rate now that their house is getting smaller and smaller. So if you're, if you're talking about a, the first time home buyer market, it'll probably be less hit than the upper, upper, you know, price point houses because people just can't, can't buy those anymore uh, as easily. Right. And then right. who knows about inflation too? That's a whole nother ball of wax. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's, it's a very, in, economically speaking, it's a very interesting time. And I think that's why I think, you know, I, uh, I picture the guy that's he's maybe he's in the corporate position um, has been there for a while. His, his, he, but he's been looking at the real estate market and he's been looking at real estate investing and, you know, his, uh, he, he's been able to, to squirrel away a, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And he's, and he's thinking about, man, it, he's always been thinking about, I want to get into real estate investing, but now with the, with the price jump, he's, he's hey, having questions in his mind about, yeah. mm, I'm not sure that's where I want to put my nest egg. Well, the, the other thing to consider too is, is at the end of the day, let's say the individual you're talking about is interested in real estate. That's very different than somebody who's trying to get into real estate to flip houses. Right. Or to, or, and so for instance, if, you, if you're looking for like a, a long-term rental, maybe, maybe an Airbnb, um, what at the end of the day matters really is cash flow. So can you still cash flow this thing with the increased interest rate, assuming you're, you're going to take out some bank financing? Um, and is it, is it generate enough cash flow that you feel okay with that? Meaning like, the, you know, back in the day, people would, would get rental properties for the de depreciation. And this thing could be either zero cash flowing or negatively cash flowing. And they'd be like, they'd be okay with that. I, 
that is, I don't think that's a good strategy. Like that's really dangerous. Mm -hmm. So if you're cash flowing a, a, an amount that you feel comfortable, if you are, if you have a, a capital expenditures account so that when your tenant moves out, you can go in there and fix it and you're not going to be struggling and you're going to be underwater, then, then go for it. You know, as long as the numbers make sense. One other thing that, that you have to just realize with, with all of that is that, um, Sometimes, you know, let's just talk about like the recent eviction moratoriums that aren't, those are just, those were just got ex extinguished not too long ago. There uh -huh. people that had bank loans had tenants that could not pay. And so you still had to make those mortgage payments. And so this is where one thing in life and air we encourage people to think about is like just under, understanding debt and can you float this thing if, 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 you know, worst case scenario comes in. That's that's just a consideration too. Now I don't I don't think that the eviction moratoriums are coming back. And yes, there were some relief programs available uh, from lenders to to the to to the uh, investors, but it got ugly for some people. You know, yeah. I, I had a buddy who had um, over twelve grand of rent owed to him that they, the tenant couldn't pay that. Like they 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 just yeah. had their it was a loss. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. That is rough. So if I'm if I'm catching your drift, you're, think, you're thinking real estate still has a really solid cash flow play in the future. I think it definitely can. Um, you know, and there's it, it, the other thing I'd say is like you got to look at the location. I think location is really, really important in terms of your when it comes to rentals because, you know, and, and the rule of thumb in real estate, and this is a very crude rule, but for a rental property, you the the rule is that you want to cash flow or have a have a rent I should say of approximately ten percent of the property value. Meaning, let's say you got a hundred thousand dollar house, you should make a thousand dollars of rent per month on that house. Now that equates to a twelve percent annualized return, but so that means for a three hundred thousand dollar house, you are you want to ideally have a three three thousand dollar a month rent. Okay. Now that's, that is very rough, but that's, it's a good yeah. start for people that they start looking at numbers. And so if you get to a neighborhood and gosh, rents are 2,200 bucks and I have $400,000 in this house, that's not a really good return. Like it's, it's not that great. And so you might be able to get a better return somewhere else. I mean, I just saw that I bonds are at like 9.6 or 9.4 right now. And I never looked at bonds and somebody else told me, Hey, maybe check it out. And so I'm, I'm investigating it. But, you know, and so, so there may be other options out there, you know, or, but, but, but conversely, like I have uh, friends in Wisconsin, for instance, that are, or, or, you know, Missouri that are buying houses for 200 grand that are like 2,500 a month in rent. And I'm like, that, those are, you know, those numbers work. It's yeah. Um, and so it's, it, that's, you got to look it very carefully, like where, where you're investing. Cause it's different in each market. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, you got to sharpen the pencil a little more is you what really I'm do hearing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think you gotta, you gotta be more, be more cautious, be more conservative, keep more money aside for when things go South. You know, can you float this thing for six months if you had to? Um, that's not saying you would, but could you, I mean, um, it's just, I th I'm, I'm just a very cautious investor. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be caught with my pants down. You know what I mean? And so I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, <laughs> yeah, just to just take a, a cautionary way to do it. Yeah. No. That's a good approach. Wise approach. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your wisdom today. And I know that there's, there's a few people out there that want to know the best way to get in touch with you. Yeah. 
we so so to learn more about myself and lifeinair.com uh, sorry lifeinair just go to lifeinair.com we also have a closed uh, private facebook group that everybody's welcome to but we just have you agree to not spam and be a good person and, and contribute value you can find that uh, it's just like uh, if you just search lifeinair on uh, on facebook you'll find that as well and that's just a great place for people to kind of, and i'm in there and we have a bunch of people there that are all pursuing, you know, freedom, financial freedom, time freedom, all those things. And we love sharing with others. You specifically, you mentioned uh, that you guys do some conferences now and then. And yeah, we do. We have we have two events. One is called the Get a Life Getaway, and at that event, we focus on helping people craft a really clear life inner vision, which includes every part of their life to make sure that they uh, they are living their ideal life. And we include. You know, the we help them figure out and reverse engineer the action steps to make that a reality. It is it is not a pie in the sky approach to living. It is mm -hmm. strategy. It's it's tactics, and and we help people do that. The second event is called our business builder workshop, and this is where we help people create a business to serve the life. Now, we recommend we don't require, but we recommend people go to the get a life first so they can create their vision. The business part depends on that. You know, so if you create your vision, you figure out you want to work from Prague four months a year. Well, that's going to Im impact how you structure your business. So it's yeah. good to know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those, those are our two events. Uh, they're three days long each. They're awesome. Uh, and I'd encourage anybody to, to get to those if they're able to. Are they in-person events or virtual? They are in-person. And the re we have done them virtually. And I'll tell you, Tony, they, they just have not had the impact we've hoped because there is so much discussion that we have hot seats. We have a lot of collaboration and breakouts and things like that. And we just haven't, people haven't been as excited as we would have hoped. And so we're just doing those in person. Right. And, and what part of the country do you hold in there? So we actually, we do, we do six of them, uh, six events total per year. Okay. We do uh, three to four get a lives and then two or three business builders. We do them all over the country. So for instance, this year, 2022, we have three events left. We've already done three. We have Nashville coming up. We have Dallas coming up and then we have Raleigh, North Carolina. I, oh. And that's actually part of my vision is that I don't spend more than 30 days per year on the road. And so that's why I, I make them come to Raleigh here and, uh, in my back backyard. Fantastic. And, and, uh, and just may, maybe a little bit of an off the wall question um, is, does Life and Air, do you guys have one-on-one -on -one coaching? We do. We do. Okay. Yep. So for people that, that want to that get, get involved and have him, someone hold their hand through the process. Okay. Great. That's great to know. Jason, thanks so much. I, for one, am very interested in what you're offering. Um, I know you come from a faith-based perspective, and that's really important to me. And I think important to a lot of our listeners. I hope to join you at one of these future meetings. That'd be amazing. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for being with us. Have a great day.